The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value, and so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm delighted to be with you again for yet another week. We're going to talk today about On Purpose, about delivering a branded customer experience that people love with my guest, Sean Smith. But before I talk to Sean, I'd like to say... A really big thank you to my guest last week, Paul Adamson. I love the show with Paul. There were, I think, just loads of great takeouts. And I always, you know, one of the reasons I love doing this show is I just, I'm very curious about people. And I love to talk to people with different life experiences. And it's not every day that you get to chat to someone who sailed some of the world's most exclusive super yachts um, and also brush shoulders with you know, really uh, successful uh, business uh, tycoons and super rich people. Um, so it gave us a rare opportunity to really understand the mindset differences of uh, some of these people. And one principle was that there's always a way. And if you've not listened to the show, I love the story in particular about DHL and Eddie Jordan. So I'd recommend that if anyone's looking to become one of the world's sort of super elite or just interested in what you could learn from their thinking, then I'd really recommend listening to this show with a pen and a pad and reflecting on it. Now, Simon Sinek, in his book and his well-known TED Talk, told us to start with why. But how do you turn that into really sustainable business results? Brands that achieve rapid growth, uh, according to my guest today, have a tremendous sense of purpose, and they're able to successfully translate that into a wonderful experience for their customers and employees. Sean Smith today is going to share lots of examples on how to do this with, I'm sure, lessons from leading brands such as Lego and Zappos and Lush and Nissan. He's been a leader in expanding management attention from the narrow focus on customer service to the wider, more strategic drive towards customer experience. He's the founder of Smith & Co., the leading UK-based customer experience consultancy. He's co-author of five acclaimed business books, including his most recent, which is On Purpose, Delivering a Branded Customer Experience People Love. A book that um, I, I'm really enjoying reading, and it's actually it's an experience just looking at it because it's so, uh, you know, such a beautiful pages and colour and that sort of thing. Um, and uh, there's some great case studies in there to, uh, to back up what he's saying. Uh, Sean's also spoken to audiences across the world. He's a, a fellow of the Professional Speaking Association, uh, like myself, but he's also a member of the Global Speakers of Federation, and he was recently presented with the Professional Speaking Award of Excellence. He's worked in the past as head of customer service at British Airways. He's worked in Hong Kong. Um, he's got a round-the-world yacht race. He's uh, sprints um, up hills in an old Ferrari, so um, there's no end to his talents. A uh, big welcome to Sean Smith. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> Good to speak to you, Sean. Uh, Sean, tell, tell us about um, hill sprinting and old Ferraris, because um, uh, that's uh, something I've not met anybody who does. 
<laughs> it's probably because there yeah. aren't as many people as mad as I am. Uh, so, well, I'd always, I've always been into to cars. I've always been a petrol head, and I, I, I'd always wanted to to have an old Ferrari. And old, I mean, not as an expensive old Ferrari, but a, a, an affordable old Ferrari. And um, I bought one, and then I spent, uh, you know, about a year polishing it, and then the next year, sort of driving it very carefully. And then I thought, well, there's got to be more to life than this. And um, somebody said to me, "Why don't you come along to a?" To a hill climb, and I thought, well, that's what, what does that involve? You know, do you go running up and down hills or something? Um, and apparently, it's the one of the oldest forms of motorsport. And uh, your US uh, listeners will know of Pikes Peak, of course, which is one of the most famous hill climbs uh, around. Uh, but it's essentially when you, you drive up a fairly narrow track uh, at uh, the maximum speed you possibly can, can against the clock. Um, and, you know, generally speaking, the cars are, are production cars. And so uh, it's an affordable uh, entry into motorsport, a very exhilarating one. And providing you don't hit anything, uh, as I say, it's, it's relatively affordable. So I, I've done that for two or three years and had a lot of fun in it. That sounds absolutely brilliant. So how do you, how do you cope then when this, beauty, this you know, beautiful old Ferrari that you polished for a year and, uh, uh, you know, and you give it a good old clunk on one of these hill climbs? How do you... How do you deal with that? Well, a large box of Kleenex works. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but, but after you've done it the first couple of times, you know, it kind of becomes, okay, well, you know, I need to get the front end remodeled again. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, you kind of, you know, take it in, in your stride and, you know, everything is pretty much fixable. And, uh, you know, they're pretty bulletproof, these cars. And, uh, no, obviously, you, you wouldn't take a super expensive one and do that to it. But, um, um, but they're pretty bulletproof cars, actually, uh, despite, you know, the reputations. And so, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's great. Uh, it's, been, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun. In fact, um, uh, strangely, enough uh, my car has increased in value over the last three years while i've been doing it so uh, whatever uh, little incidents i've had have more than been compensated by the rise in value of the car you still get good performance out of an old one do you yeah well yeah enough for me anyway <laughs> <laughs> oh, i'm an old one as well so you know we, we work we work well together <laughs> I think I think uh, most you can probably scare yourself in most cars these days. Really, um, <laughs> and occasionally in my 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 car and being torn you. So, uh, tell us about your, your background then, and where, where did this spark this interest in customer experience come from? Because you've you know you've clearly developed a, a great consultancy business out of it. Well, I'm passionate about service, and and the reason is that um, I started my career at a pretty young age sitting on a check-in desk in London Heathrow and uh, I worked for um, a series of airlines but including British Airways and you know gradually worked my way through through the ranks and ended up as head of sales customer service and marketing training worldwide for British Airways when it went through a major turnaround in, in the late 80s and um, and so you know services in my blood I, it, I've, I've always had this passion about actually providing great service to people and um, and then I went to to Hong Kong and ran a service consultancy for Cathay Pacific uh, for 11 years um, and then came back to this country and 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 one of the things that was happening was that you know the notion of service as we as we used to think about it which is uh, a service provider giving service to a customer um, was rapidly being overtaken by the notion of customer experience because, of course, also often now, um, the experience we have is not through an individual or a person. It's through a process. I mean, Amazon is a wonderful 
case in point. I often ask people to put their hands up if they think Amazon gives great service and all the hands go up. And then I ask people, how many of you have ever spoken to an Amazon person? And all the hands come down. Mm. So the point being that you know Amazon is a great example of an end-to-end experience which gives huge satisfaction, but it's through the intentional design of the experience as opposed to just having nice people. And so that's what shifted. And so that's how I got into customer experience. And when you do that and you start looking at differentiating customer experiences as opposed to making them generic, then inevitably you start thinking about brand because the brand and what the brand stands for has to be the essence of a great customer experience. And so that's when the notion of creating a branded customer experience uh, started coming. And that's what led to my first book. Just a, a question I'd like to ask you on that is people tend to quote, when they're talking about customer experience, they tend to quote Southwest Airlines a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think that's doing a disservice to people like British Airways? I know you've worked for Cathay Pacific. Because um, you, you, you could believe in the airline industry that there's only one place to look for that great experience. <laughs> Uh, no, I don't believe so. I, I think um, people confuse uh, grade uh, and quality with experience. And by that, I mean, you know, let me take, let me give, perhaps give you another example and then come back to the airline one. But if you take hotels, um, Ritz-Carlton clearly gives a wonderful experience and it's a very high-grade hotel. In the UK, Premier Inn gives a wonderful experience um, but it's a budget hotel. It's a value hotel. Um, so, but the grades are different. Um, and in the airline business, Southwest is obviously infamous, famous for its wonderful customer experience. Um, but it is a, a it's a budget airline, um, and it's not the same as the Singapore Airlines, which is a very high grade. Mm. So, so the point is, that one of the things we we often say is that you can't gold plate customer experience. You shouldn't do more than the customers absolutely expect and are willing to pay for, because otherwise it's just vanity. Um, so one of the tricks of, of being really great and intentional in, in creating experiences is to understand what it is that your customers value and providing that uh, in a way which is very distinctive and different, um, but not over-egging it uh, and certainly not shortchanging them. Mm. Now, you've co-authored five books, and why did you choose to write On Purpose Now? Well, I wrote a book in 2012 um, called Bold, How to Be Brave in Business and Win. And we looked at those brands that were transforming the markets, those that were doing some very interesting things around the customer experience um, and causing a bit of a stir. Uh, so, uh, for example, brands um, like Umqua, uh, the, the bank in, in, in the US, mm. um, uh, brands like Virgin. And we did some pretty thorough research uh, and identified quite a number of dimensions that explained what these brands do and, and, and what makes them bold, what makes them brave, what makes them different. But one of the things that came through was this very strong sense of purpose. When you spoke to the leaders, whether it was Jeff Bezos or Richard Branson or um, Herb Callagher or whatever, when you talk to the leaders of these brands, what comes through is their passion and their sense of purpose. And it isn't about the profit. You know, Apple, as we know, share prices come off a bit recently, but as we know, at one point was the most uh, valuable co- uh, company that's ever existed. Um, and Steve Jobs was famously uh, indifferent to making a profit. That's not what drove him. It was about making a difference to the world that really was the driver of, of Steve Jobs. And that's true of these other organizations too. So the notion of purpose became an interesting one for me. And 
at about the same time, of course, we were going through the financial services crisis. And I think particularly in the US and in the UK, um, public cynicism with banks and mm -hmm. bankers and bonuses uh, reached a, a kind of a, 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 a zenith. Uh, and we started questioning, I think, as, as a society, who are these people in business for? And it seems it's not they're in business for the customers. It's about being self-serving. How do they give a bigger bonus to their traders? How do they give a bigger um, salary to the chief executives? I mean, quite recently in this country, um, Bob Dudley, the uh, CEO of, of, of um, Barclays, has, has been awarded a £14 million um, salary increase and package, oh. which was voted down by the shareholders, but he still gets it. And, and yet, in the same period, under his stewardship, um, the share price of Barclays has declined and it's been fined quite significant sums of money for you know, mis-selling. So you begin to wonder um, where these organizations are going and, um, and, and put those two things together. And I think what we're seeing is that as consumers, we are gravitating towards those brands that we feel are there for us, that they're to create value for the customer first and foremost. And if they do that well enough, well, guess what? They're also very successful commercially. Do you, th do you think the banks have, have failed to learn then? Because you know, the, it, it appeared that we were kind of on the the cusp of maybe a change in direction, a change to being actually a bit more authentic? Well, you know, it, it, I think they're going through the motions. I mean, one of the, the slides that I use when I give speeches is, is I've got five high street banks' um, purposes, and they are fine words. Uh, when you take away the logos, however, they are indistinguishable. I mean, you cannot tell one from the other. They're all yeah. saying pretty much exactly the same thing. And when push comes to shove, um, it's not reflected in their behavior because they're still behaving badly. Um, we, Andy Milligan, my co-author and I, have this phrase, which is you can't force it, you can't fake it, and you can't fudge it. Yeah. And that's a very good, I think, litmus test for a purpose. Um, the worst thing of all, of course, is uh, one of the things I, I dread is people reading my book, uh, a chief executive reading my book and saying, oh, that's great. Um, well, we need a purpose and giving it to their agency, you know. So agency, can you go off and write me a purpose statement? Because uh, you absolutely know it's going to have no impact at all on the organization. And it's not about the having, it's about the doing. It's about acting in accordance with it. Um, a case in point is BP. So BP went through an extensive rebranding exercise a number of years ago to position itself as the environmentally friendly energy company. And it changed its uh, logo from the sort of the uppercase BP, the blue, the Sirius, to that nice lowercase BP with the green and yellow flower effect of the logo. It's all very environmentally friendly and, 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 and so on. Um, but we know when it came to the Gulf of Mexico, um, the organization failed to invest in the equipment that would have prevented the oil spill. And as a result of that, we know what the effect was, which is, you know, the company suffered huge amounts of damages and its share price collapsed. So um, it's not about the having, it's about the doing. Um, and that's one of the key messages in the book. Now you, write, you write in the book about you know, standing up and being purpose-driven and having purposeful leadership which uh, very much, uh, you know, it seems to be in the doing. And I, I really, you know, get what you're saying. Uh, and you know, so many people judge themselves by their intentions, but we judge them by their behaviors. That's exactly right. Yeah. Why and, you know, how do you become purpose-driven? How, how do you get to that sense of purpose of, I suppose, what's really, really important 
as opposed to what might be commercially important? Well, I think it's, it's, it's starting from a point of view of, of why are we in business? Why do we exist? And those um, organizations that are, are purposeful, I think, have leaders that um, really do have a passion for, for customers and, and, and um, the value that they provide to them. And they recognize that if they do that really well, they'll be, they'll be successful commercially. So it's not that they're not commercial, they are. But first and foremost, it's about the customer. Uh, a good example of that, I think, was um, go back to uh, 2012, October 2012, and um, Hurricane Sandy hit the eastern seaboard of the United States. And you may remember um, the headlines from that time. It was a you know, terrific storm. Many of your listeners perhaps would have experienced it. Um, 157 people lost their lives. Eight million people were without power. So it was a major, major event. And in the midst of that storm, uh, American Apparel, um, a fashion retailer, came out with an advertisement and said, if you're bored during the storm, you know, 157 people losing their lives and 8 million people without power. If you're bored, come along to us and we'll give you a 20% deal. Oh, well, you could imagine that people reacted against that fairly. Yeah. Fairly, yeah social media went, went crazy. Um, and it's interesting that at that same time, two other brands did something rather, rather different. So Tide, the washing powder manufacturer, loaded up trucks with washer-dryers and went around the streets uh, offering to wash and dry people's clothes. They could have a change. Uh, Duracell, the battery manufacturer, uh, loaded up trucks with uh, generators and went around offering to charge people's mobile phones so they could connect with their loved ones. So a very different response. And the question is why? Well, clearly American Apparel was driven by the profit motive. Tide and Duracell happened to be um, both brands owned by P&G, and PNG's purpose is to touch and improve more consumers' lives with more PNG brands every day. And I believe that, that their action was motivated by, by a belief in that purpose. A.G. Laffley, the chief executive, has, has installed that purpose right through the organization. And I believe that's what motivated them. Now, a cynic might say, well, it's clever marketing because they really generated some positive PR. Um, that may have been the result, but I don't believe that was the intention. I don't believe that was the motivation. And so um, I think purposeful leadership is, is, is really wanting to do the right thing for your customers. Um, and that's what drives you. You know, in this sort of situation, what you you kind of hope that there there are, in, there are times in life when you know, if you have the resources, then it's appropriate just to give without expecting anything in return. However, you know what the P and G did there is that you know they gave whether they expected anything in return or not. It's likely mm -hmm. that people would remember that because it was such a it would be, be such so needed at uh, such an important time. Um, I think it's about being there, isn't it, for people at those significant right. events? You know, and, and I think the other thing, Chris, is is you know there are of course we've seen a huge um, increase in in CSR activity and and, and public statements around uh, CSR and so on. Um, and, and and you know and, and and I applaud that. Of course, we need to be societally. Uh, appropriate and aware. But I'm not advocating, we don't advocate in the book that that should be a primary driver of an organization. Yeah. Yes, you need to be uh, doing the things which are sustainable from a societal point of view, otherwise you'll go out of business and so will society. But that shouldn't be the key driver. So we're not into sort of hugging trees or doing massive charitable things um, from an organizational perspective. We believe that the primary purpose of an organization should be to create value for its customers and improve their lives. Um, 
if it does that, it will be commercially successful. And if it does that in a way which is societally appropriate, um, then it will be around for the long term. So if we take Amazon, Amazon's purpose is to be the Earth's most customer-centric company. And the amazing things that it's doing around you know, drone deliveries and one-hour slots and all of these things is driven off that purpose of wanting to be incredibly customer-centric. We know that it's been commercially very successful as a result. It recently overtook Walmart um, in terms of uh, market capitalization. Its share price has gone, you know, gone through the roof. Um, and providing it can do that in a way which is societally acceptable, it will survive in the long term. But by societally acceptable, I mean including things like paying taxation in the markets in which it, which it operates. <laughs> sure. well, let's go to commercial break there, but let's, let's, um, let's continue with that again after the break. So we're just going to be with you, back with you again in a couple of minutes, so do join us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the business elevation show with your host chris cooper if you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk that's chris at chriscooper.co.uk now back to chris cooper hi i'm chris cooper here i'm with sean smith we're talking about on purpose and and sean i'm just gonna i'm gonna be at risk being a little bit controversial here but i was um we were chatting a little bit in the break about Amazon, and in Amazon, you, I think you do deliver a a really good customer experience. I've certainly experienced that myself, but I, I I'm not quite convinced that they really, you know, really respect suppliers or possibly even their employees. But um, uh, do, you know, do, is is that okay? <laughs> I, I 
Uh, you know, I think it is. Um, uh, I, I think they are absolutely clear that customers come first. And I know from having interviewed Jeff Bezos in the past, um, he made it clear that when people join the organization, um, that's what that's the kind of culture they're joining. It's whatever it takes to deliver to the customers. And it's a fairly demanding and tough culture. Um, and providing us authentic, um, I think that's acceptable because people can choose to buy into that or they can choose not to. Mm. Uh, and in terms of you know, being an author, I can, I can tell you from personal experience, they are really difficult to deal with. Um, uh, but once again, you, 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 you either accept it or you don't. But you know what they stand for, and that's the point. And I think it's about authenticity and what I said earlier. You know, you can't force it, fake it, or fudge it. Um, it's so don't tell me you're one thing and then, and then behave in a different way. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, I mean, they've been very clever, haven't they, in the way that they have uh, sort of expanded their business and continuously invested money in the infrastructure. Absolutely. It, you know, no. years they weren't making profits, were they? That's right. Well, I mean, they, um, I remember being on stage in New York uh, some years ago now, and, and uh, it was quite consider considerable years ago now, and uh, I was talking about Amazon as being a great brand, and I remember one of the other speakers, and we had a panel afterwards, one of the other speakers sort of, you know, quite aggressively said to me on this panel on stage, how can you possibly say Amazon's a great brand? They don't make any money. And, and I said, well, I think they're a great brand because we've all heard of them. We all know what they stand for. Um, customers seem to like what they do. And I believe there'll come a point when they will turn the tap and the uh, money will flow from growing the brand to growing the profits. Yes. Um, and so I think it's, a, it's been a very deliberate strategy to, to penetrate the market, to grow the brand, to develop the infrastructure, um, build the business, and there will come a point when uh, they'll turn the tap on the profits. And of course, the shareholders will be very happy, I'm sure. Absolutely. Now, after, standing, um, after standing up in the book, you write about uh, the fact that you should then stand out through infectious communication. You also talk about a distinctive customer experience and continuous innovation. So how do you create infectious communication? Well, it's of course, you know, with social media now, uh, so much of it is viral. And that's what I mean by infectious communication is getting your customers to talk about you positively and willingly so that they become your marketing. I think a traditional above the line marketing is uh, increasingly becoming below the radar. Um, and by that, I mean that as consumers, we just don't pay attention to it anymore. I mean, when was the last time you willingly sat through an advertisement and the commercial break on TV? You know, we just don't do that. We, we speed through it. Um, we ignore much of the press and banner and pop-ups and so on um, that, is, that, that is presented to us. So, there, of course, there are many apps now that will screen your computer and the internet to avoid, to avoid advertisements. So, we'll avoid them if we can. But the interesting thing is, as consumers, we thrive and we willingly buy into infectious communication. I'll give an example of that. Um, who would willingly sit through a 98-minute advertisement? Not many people. No. But if I put the word Lego in front of it and I talk about the Lego movie, then it's a different matter. You had... You know, uh, you had 27 million people viewing the Lego movie on YouTube on the trailer. You had um, Lego making $500 million uh, for that movie. Why? Well, because they made something that was engaging and fun and branded, um, and therefore people bought into it. Um, if you look at the, the Super Bowl in 2013, 
uh, the most successful, as you probably know, and, and many of your listeners will know, um, the Super Bowl is the showcase for the advertisements for the year, right? That's the that's mm. the place where the brands really want to make it big in terms of their advertisements. And there's been huge sums of money on making these huge productions. But the the, the ad that got the most plaudits in 2013 was um, Oreo, the, the, the cookie manufacturer. Yeah. Because the lights went out, and you may know that when the lights went out, uh, they tweeted immediately saying, you can still dunk in the dark. And that got shared so much, uh, it became you know, a, a, a really big deal. But of course, social media can backfire. Um, you can get it wrong. One of my favorite stories is about Jurex, the condom manufacturer who uh, used social media to uh, launch a new product called the SOS Condom. And they went out, they thought it'd be quite fun to engage their, their community, their customers with this uh, new launch. And so they went out and they said, we're going to launch this new, this new product. Um, where in the world do you think we should launch it? You know, which would be the cities that you feel we should be the, the launch city for this new condom? You know? And they were thinking, I guess it would be the romantic cities, perhaps like Rome or perhaps Paris uh, or, or perhaps New York. But in fact, of course, the, the quirkiness of, of, the, of the community came back and suggested um, a very remote city called Batman in Turkey, which is a, a Muslim city and very orthodox. So that wasn't quite the result that uh, Jurex wanted. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so we did create infectious uh, communication. I agree with you. I think Lego the movie is a, is a great example of that. And but how do you go about developing a really distinctive customer experience to help you stand out? Well, the first thing is to be really, really, really clear about what you stand up for. Um, because once you're clear about that, once you understand your brand, then it's much easier to stand out. Um, so to give you an example of that, uh, if we take Virgin, uh, um, Virgin Atlantic, uh, Virgin's values are about innovation and fun and entertainment um, and you know customer focus and so on. And Virgin is a great airline, but so is Singapore Airlines, uh, but so is Emirates. I mean, there are some great airlines, but they are very different. And they behave in a very different way because their values are different. Uh, and once again, there's a, a great story I, I like, which remember, in the days before seatback entertainment, we used to have the drop-down screens in the main cabin, and they'd, they'd show a main movie. Yeah. Uh, and a virgin, because of its values of fun and entertainment and innovation, said, oh, you know, that, that's, that's tremendous. Now, what do you do in a movie where you, you have ice cream? So what we're going to do is we're going to go around between the movies um, with an ice cream, uh, which was actually very innovative because airlines at that time didn't have the capability of, of freezing down ice creams. And in fact, Virgin did it through using dry ice and so on. But they, they said, that's what we're going to do. Now, one of the flight attendants became pretty well, pretty well known because she'd go into the galley and she would smear ice cream around her face and walk out into the cabin and say to the customers, um, people tell me these ice creams are great. I wouldn't know, but you know, <laughs> they tell me they're great. And of course, people would laugh. There'd be a ripple of laughter going right through the cabin. Um, now, the point of the story is, is, is this. If I'm, I don't know, but I make a, a, a bet that if it was a, a Singapore Airlines flight attendant did that, they'd probably get sacked. Yes. Because Singapore Airlines is all about standards and being absolutely impeccable. Um, but because of Virgin's values, this flight attendant knew that she could get away with it, and in fact, it will be, it will be applauded. Um, and so that's what happened. So the point about distinctive customer experience is just none, knowing what your brand's all about and then being able to do some things um, differently. And then 
really takes us to the second meaning of on purpose, because one meaning is the one we've dealt with already, Chris, which is purposeful. But the second meaning is intentional, doing things on, on purpose, which is intentional. Um, and also often with organizations, so many organizations now are trying to improve their customer experience. And of course, I'm in that, that business and I see an awful lot of what goes on. But so much of it is unintentional. And by that, I mean they, they exhort the front line to give a better experience to customers. Um, but it's not designed. And the only way you can really create a great and distinctive branded customer experience is to design it and then uh, put in place the processes, uh, the technology, and the behaviors in terms of training your people to deliver it so that it is consistent, so that you become famous for it, it becomes part of your brand. Because it's, some, some, somebody once said that a brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. So it's not what you say, it's what your customers say. And they'll only say that if again and again and again they experience you in a particular way. And that's why going back to the example you raised earlier, Southwest has been so great is because they've consistently behaved in, in, in that way for many years. There's also kind of <coughs> lovely examples with companies. I'm thinking about Zappos and uh, when I spoke to, did an interview with Ritz Carlton as well, um, where people are given in those organizations autonomy to do things like, you know, telesales people are given autonomy to send people flowers or something like that if there's uh, you know, a customer who who you know they feel it's appropriate or or the you know this lovely stories was one in Ritz Carlton where you know somebody had left a giraffe their son had left a giraffe in a hotel and they sent the giraffe back they said sent a message saying he was having a nice holiday and they sent a photo album with the giraffe on a golf buggy and by the pool and all that sort of thing when those go viral then yeah absolutely yeah well, it, well, well, advertising and I think the interesting thing about those is is that we have a, a phrase we call lose tight. And by that, I mean that many organizations are very tight when it comes to telling their people what to do. So you've got standards and procedures and guidelines and protocols or whatever it might be. You know, it's, it's very, very tight and rigid in terms of the delivery. Answer the phone within three rings. Say, no, have a nice day, whatever it might be. Um, but they're very loose when it comes to um, understanding what the brand's really about, what its purpose is, uh, the kind of experience you want to create for customers and so on and why it's important. And we believe that great brands reverse those two things. They're very tight when it comes to understanding their brand purpose, uh, what they stand up for, the kind of experience they want to create, but a bit looser when it comes to the delivery, allowing their people to operate within a framework of the brand and to make the best decisions for the customer. And that's exactly what Ritz Carlton does. Brilliant. How do you, how do you continuously innovate? Uh, I think, once again, it, it's about understanding your purpose and then stretching the boundaries of what is, per, uh, of what is possible. I think a great example of continuous innovation um, is is uh, Tesla? So Tesla came out with their you know their new Model Three was it three weeks ago and immediately sold quarter of a million of them um, in the first week I think it was uh, incredibly innovative brand. Mm. But what and 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 if you think of Elon Musk and what he's been doing with that brand, all of it is driven by the desire to create more environmentally friendly products, um, to change the face of, of automotive um, and change the, the nature of, of that whole industry through these incredibly innovative products. Uh, 
Now, that is not driven by the commercial motive. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he, he ultimately will, uh, wants to make money from it. Uh, don't get me wrong on that. But, but clearly what's driving it is the desire to create a better uh, product for society, for the world. Um, and, and I think that's what drives a lot of innovation. It's that, that sense of, of, of passion, of wanting to uh, stretch the envelope, of, of, of look at what's possible, um, rather than to look at what's affordable. Because I think if you start from a perspective of, well, what's going to make the most money for us? You know, how can we get the, the optimum level between R&D and so on? Um, that's not when things improve. In fact, we talked earlier about uh, bonuses and executive pay. And I believe one of the problems that we're seeing is, is that over X number of years, recent years, um, so many executives have been remunerated on the basis of share price increase. I think that has created a behavior in organizations where people take short-term uh, decisions to suit the shareholders, the next quarter's profits, whatever. Um, and that has stifled innovation in innovation, um, in long-term thinking, in taking those bigger decisions uh, that are the longer bets, if you will, the longer-term bets, which really move organizations forward. And I think that's one of the reasons why actually productivity in the West hasn't really improved much over the last 10 to 15 years. It's also, I think, sometimes there's kind of a natural course in terms of you know, to, to, to develop something and deliver it and have the results that you want to see. It, it, you know, organizations try and define that in terms of specific timescales, whereas actually sometimes being a bit looser with that might over the like, – like the example, great example he gave there of Amazon, um, you know, different longer-term way of thinking could end up with a better result. Uh, that's right. Uh, you know, when you when you think back to the genesis of of some great brands, uh, when you, you know, Kellogg's and you know others, um, you you've got a I don't know, but I mean, you know, I, I I have a strong suspicion that the founders of those brands started with that belief in the product, a belief in what they were doing, a belief in the organization, a belief in the brand, and wanting to grow it. Uh, and yes, they wanted to be successful, but but it was all about the belief. Uh, and I think, you know, as I said, uh, I, I suspect increasingly uh, because of remunerating people, we are um, driving short-term behavior. Mm, okay, yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, we're going to go into commercial break again now. Um, after the break, I want to talk to you, um, Sean, about you know, standing firm, which uh, was the another key principle in your, in your book. So um, we'll come back to everybody in just a couple of minutes. Uh, do join us. Uh, there's lots more uh, to come from Sean on what I think is a fascinating uh, discussion about a, uh, a fascinating book, which I recommend that you acquire. So I'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one -one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. 
What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Sean Smith. And do contact me if you've got some, uh, some questions or um, you've got some thoughts about other guests that you would love to have on the show or subjects in the future or feedback on the, sh- uh, the show with Sean today because I do love to hear from you. And if you go to chriscooper.co.uk, you just sign up for the uh, newsletter. Uh, we don't bombard you with email. We just send one out approximately once a month with, with shows and our take and uh, what's coming up and that sort of thing. So I want to uh, move on to standing firm now. now. Now, when I worked, uh, Sean, for Mars, Inc., uh, for a number of years, I heard it described as, as a little bit of a, a cult-like culture. And you say that this is important. And uh, I wonder what, what your thoughts are on this and why. I quite agree. In, in fact, one of the dimensions from the research is, is indeed a cult-like culture. Um, and, 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 and I think culture in, and cult-like in a very positive sense, not in a pejorative sense, but a positive sense that it's very strong and that people adhere to the values of that culture. People behave in a way which is congruent and consistent with that culture. Uh, and that becomes a, um, a, a an org- it, it creates an organism which becomes self-protective because what happens is that when you've got that strong culture, and you then recruit somebody who is not of that same culture, um, the, org- the body rejects. Um, and often people, in fact, you know, self-reject themselves. They, they figure out pretty soon that this isn't the right place for me, and they, they leave. So the organization becomes stronger over time because it attracts people. Um, one of my very favorite people is Robert Stevens, the founder of the Geek Squad. And, and Robert, I think, is just a delightful person. And he's got this this phrase. He says that purpose is like a beacon. It's like a lighthouse that attracts the kind of people you want and warns away the people that you don't want. And I think that's a, 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 mm. a just a really, really nice way of thinking about what, what, what purpose is and what, what culture is. Uh, yeah, and that's a really, really good exam- example there. And I think uh, what, what I've found with in one or two cultures I've worked with, like like Mars, is that it does enable you as an employee to to know you know how to behave and and to have standards of behaviour from other people that don't don't surprise you. 
So some mm-hmm. of the clients I, I, I work with and uh, there's you know, one or two that I've worked with recently where you know, the, the, uh, because there isn't that firm uh, culture in place, there isn't a, a clear way of doing things, um, people end up being endlessly surprised by the behavior of their... That's right. Their, yeah. you know, the senior people in the organization and, and yeah, yeah. feel very unsettled by it. Well, somebody asked me, I gave a speech the other day, and, and, and somebody said to me, but the problem with, with, with you know, this idea of purpose is that, of course, you know, if you get a new chief executive and, and they, he or she brings in some new strategy and the pendulum swings and everybody goes in a different direction. And, and I, my response was, but when you've got a really strong purpose and a very strong culture, then actually you are more likely to attract a chief executive who buys into it and is more likely to to sustain it. And I think Southwest is a, is a great example. I mean, it was obviously founded by Herb, Herb Callahan. I think it's on to its third chief executive. But all of those people have continued the strategy of, of Southwest. And, and I think that's true in, in other organizations too that have been around for many years, that you find people, you attract senior executives who buy into into that. We often advise our clients to hire for DNA, not MBA. Mm. Um, so find people that fit the culture, not just smart people. Um, a good example, you mentioned Zappos earlier. Um, so Tony Shea, and many of your listeners would have heard the story of this, I'm sure. Uh, Tony Shea is quite well known for going into the uh, training room at the end of, of training new people and um, offering them, I think, several thousand dollars, I think it's $3,000, um, to, to leave uh, the organization and you think well why he's recruited them he's trained them why is he offering them money to leave and it's a kind of a, a rite of passage it's a test to say do you really want to be part of this organization and you might say well three thousand dollars is quite a lot of money but uh, thinking about some of the people i've worked with over my career uh, that's a bargain <laughs> absolutely absolutely you wonder how how you know by creating these cultures versus the companies that don't you know the the how much more efficient they are because they're you know, they're focusing their energy on doing what needs to be done, not focusing their energy on being frustrated with their colleagues and other people in the business who might not behave, be behaving how they might expect them to. Well, I think you, I think you make a very good point. Uh, the uh, I'm getting a little a big echo on the line, Chris. Yeah, a little, little bit. Yeah, it's um, okay. it's wobbled a little bit. Um, the um, oh, it's gone now. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right because I think in many organisations you can. Uh, get people coming to the organization who become toxic. They may not start out that way, but perhaps they become disenfranchised, they become demotivated, and, and pretty soon they, they start being toxic. Um, and that could be a huge debilitating effect on an organization. Uh, I remember working with one particular organization a number of years ago where we did some research and, and, and we found that you could roughly separate people into three thirds. So the top third were those uh, employees who were role models. They were passionate. They were enthusiastic. They were the people who got it. They were the champions of, of the new direction. There was a third in the middle that was sort of the floating majority that would go either way. With leadership, uh, they'd become positive. They'd get on board. Uh, but unless they were communicated well, unless they were led well, that you know, they, they, they would become naysayers. And then the third at the bottom were just naturally against it. And of those, about half were salvageable and half you just needed to get rid of. Um, and so I think there is in any organization, whether it's the same split, I don't know. But I think in any organization, there is a proportion of people who are just drag, uh, drag on the system. And the stronger your purpose, the stronger your culture, the less likely it is that you're going to have that effect. 
I think you're probably sort of mirroring as well, you know, the figures around engagement in companies. And, you know, out of uh, you know, about 11 people, you probably got two people who are trying to, trying to you know, kick own goals. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it's fairly typical. It's quite scary in a team of, you know, 10 or 11 people when you've got uh, a couple of people doing that. As we know, in a sporting team, that would, would, would stop the team performing. Yeah. Well, we, we, we um, to give you a practical example, uh, we did a project with um, one of our clients called Premarin. Premarin is the mm-hmm. market-leading hotel brand in the UK. May not be well known to your US listeners, but it's um, it's you know it, it's a mid-market brand, um, and it's growing very rapidly. They were adding a new hotel every ten days. Um, so very rapid growth, 700 hotels. And about three years ago, we had a call from Patrick Dempsey, the managing director, uh, to say, um, I'm worried. And uh, I said, well, why are you worried? And he said, well, we're adding a new hotel every 10 days. He said, we're very successful. You know, our share price is going up. Um, he said, and our people are great. Um, and But the reason I'm worried is because I don't really know why. Mm. Um, he said, we've got what we call pixie dust in the organization. We know we've got this pixie dust that our people are fabulous, but I can't describe it. And unless I can describe it, I can't be intentional in recruiting for it or rewarding it or training for it. So we need to to try and do something about that. So we got the, the job of codifying the pixie dust, which is oh, kind nice of – one of the more interesting briefs we've ever had. Nice job, that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, long story short, uh, we went through a process of research. We um, uh, defined the purpose, the brand purpose, which is making guests feel brilliant through a great night's sleep with the leadership team. And that was communicated through the organization. That was followed up by training. It was followed up by an employee uh, branding project. Um, and all of it is to say that, that you know, it was, a, it was a, just a really, really fun project. And uh, uh, last year, uh, the brand was voted uh, the best hotel brand in the UK um, and also um, the, with the best employee engagement. And there was independent research by Hay McBear that asked a question of the employees, 20,000 employees, which is their extent to which they agreed with the brand purpose, which is making guests feel brilliant through a great night's sleep. And there was 96% engagement, 96% strong agreement with that statement and Hamlet Burr had said that they've you know they'd never seen a level of engagement like it um, and the point of all of that is to say if you're clear about what you stand for and if you're clear about how you want to stand out then you can be very intentional in creating the culture to sustain it but it really does it really does start with that clarity the Koreans have a, a phrase a saying which is in order for the lower waters to be clear the upper waters need to be clear mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we've got um just uh we've got a few minutes left now, probably about uh, sort of four minutes, something like that. Um, is is there, what you know, is what's the approach to successfully implementing a branded customer experience for for your clients? Um, well, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's a fairly um logical process that we go through and I'm sure it's a very similar one to to many other consultancies so I certainly wouldn't offer it as being anything magical but it it works and I guess that's the that's what matters so we go through a sort of a seven step process and and it starts with with engaging the leadership team because unless you've got the leadership team on board unless they um, are in agreement and aligned with what you're trying to achieve or what the organization is trying to achieve then it it just becomes uh, a hollow exercise uh, so engaging the the top team around the purpose is really important. Um, 
then it's insight. It's really starting with those valuable customers and what it is that they value. Because if your brand purpose should be around creating value for those people, well, you better be clear about what it is you're trying to do. So it's, it's, that's the insight phase. It's then about defining that brand purpose and also brand promise. So what is it that you stand for? What are the, the commitments that you might make to your customers? Um, because that's what creates cut through it in the market. That's what helps you communicate what you're all about and attract customers. But then you've got to deliver on it. You've got to deliver on that promise. And so that's the design phase. And uh, what we do there is to design the end-to-end customer journey, we look at all the touch points, we look at where the organization needs to over-index or under-index, um, because you can't be perfect everywhere. So one of the key key things here is to um, choose those touch points where you want to be famous. It's then about aligning all your people, and that comes from training, it comes from communications, it comes from your processes and your technology. Uh, is that about measuring? Because unless you measure, uh, you, it's difficult to continuously innovate. So measurement is around measuring the experience, not just measuring the things which are easy, which might be sales or, 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 or um, uh, revenues. Uh, you've got to measure the experience and things like net promoter score. And then finally, it's about innovation, using that measurement, that insight to push the boundaries still further and to continuously innovate um, on behalf of the customers. So it becomes, in a sense, a circular process. Excellent, excellent. You you talk about designing, um, looking at touch points. Um, What's an example of a touch point? What uh, do you mean by that? A touch point is a major area where you interact with a customer. So, for example, uh, we were working with uh, Burberry, and when you look at the buying fashion, one of the key touch points that was a source of frustration for customers or in, in that marketplace is, uh, is the changing room experience, the fitting room experience. We've all had that experience of going into a claustrophobic, rather smelly changing room and trying to put on some trousers and finding they don't fit and then trying to find somebody to bring us some new ones and all of that. Um, and, and what Burberry did is created an amazing fitting room experience in its flagship stores with plasma screens and iPads and sales associates that are stationed outside to make the whole thing uh, a much more pleasant experience. So that's an example of a touch point. Excellent. So we're coming to the end of the interview now. I just wonder, do you have any, any final messages that you'd like to leave us with? Uh, yeah, it's this one, um, that every day, every one of your customers has an experience. They can't not have a customer experience. The only question is, is it the one you intend? Right. That's that's really well worth thinking about. I think that's a really a really powerful way to end the show. I think I really enjoyed um, talking to you. I think you've um, uh, I think you've you've touched on a number of things that I I hope will be really valuable to people to listen to the show and um, that having that sense of purpose and really following it through with your your behaviour uh, and all of the different elements uh, of. Uh, of really translating that into a great branded customer experience I think is really really valuable so oh well one thing I will just add just in closing by the way and this is not a this is not a sales pitch at all but um, there's a complete free toolkit on my website uh, where people can access access. excellent so do do you want to just repeat that what's it what's it called and can you just remind me of the uh... 
Uh, it's www.smithcoconsultancy.com, um, but there is a, a, a toolkit there and a, a survey called the On Purpose Survey that people can complete and um, measure themselves against the brands that we've been talking about. Excellent. So, yeah, I'll get, go to that On Purpose Survey. Uh, check it out. It's at smithcoconsultancy.com. Uh, once again, a huge uh, thank you to you, Sean. Um, really, really insightful show. Um, take care in that Ferrari, old Ferrari of yours and uh, hope to speak <laughs> to you again on the show soon. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Bye now. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.